0: sharp,
1: pointed and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk.
0: USMCA, Canada, Mexico, US, you know, NAFTA 2.0, that's a terrific trade deal, helping throughout our economy. In fact, in the shorter run, next few years, it's more important than China trade. I mean, USMCA passage in the House and Senate is probably gonna add a half a percent a half a percent per year for gdp now i'm not doing that i'm not doing that to brag because you know what i don't have to brag i don't have to believe it or not i'm doing that to say that that's the kind of thinking our country needs we need that thinking we have the opposite thinking We have losers. We have losers. We have people that don't have it. We have people that are morally corrupt. We have people that are selling this country down the drain. And now,
1: Stacey Washington.
2: Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, Yeah, so what are we doing? Well, um, (laughs) we have some angry people calling into the call queue Um, But that's okay. It's all right. You can have your feelings. Welcome to the show. This hour, we're going to be talking to Bridget Van Means. She's the, well, first of all, she's my friend and she's amazing. She's a visionary. um, It's hard to describe her. She's just, she's so fantastic. Bridget Van Means. She's a vision leader and president of Thrive St. Louis, which is a branded pregnancy resource center and um, really the driver in pro-life action here in the Missouri area, the entire state of Missouri. And now they've branched out and they've, their centers are across the country, probably in an area near you since we're in 35 states across the country on this program. So uh, first off, I want to make sure you know she's going to be with us in a few short minutes for the next segment to discuss what's going on with the Planned Parenthood here in Missouri. But right now I want to go back to the phones and chat with We have some people who want to get in here and and have conversation about all this stuff that's going on. Nancy in Texas. Thanks for holding over. What's your comment?
3: Uh, Thank you for taking my call. Sure. I wanted to tell, I wanted to mention something, a young Marine uh, advised who's been all over in all these trouble spots. He said, you know, he's um, like an amateur historian. And he said, Texas used to be part of Mexico. Mm -hmm. And, We might think about investing in by 50 miles on the other side of the river and set up a place where things can be sorted out outside of the United States, where we would actually control activity on the other side of the river by buying some real estate.
2: So you know what, Nancy, because we, we had uh, uh, earlier this week on the program, we had a guest on from the Heritage Foundation. Um, I think it was it was it might have been Hans von Spakovsky. Uh No, no, it was someone from the Federalist who came on and joined us and talked about how at one point, more than one point in our history, we've had. Um, actual actions going on south of the border, military actions, were American troops. Now, uh, admittedly, this is not in the modern era. It was John Davidson, senior correspondent at The Federalist, was talking about the border's volatile history and that we had actually sent troops south of the border into Mexico. And we were operating in Mexico with American troops to put down a resistance. Back then it was Pancho Villa. But the idea is the same. And so I, I agree with that. I think, you know, buying some land over there, fine. I don't think Mexico would sell it to us. Um, I, or just sending our troops down there, whether they want us to or not, just sending our troops in as far enough into the territory to push back the invasion, to turn the people around so they can't put their toes on American soil and activate these ridiculous, silly laws that we have. I think you're right. Um, Nancy, thanks for calling the show today. Uh, let's go to Bart in Texas. Hey, Bart, thanks for calling the show.
3: Uh, sure, appreciate uh, you sharing. Listen to you. I, I've got. I need your opinion on something. Um, I'm, of course, I think you. few days ago, you mentioned our, our esteemed Ilhan Omar, and mm. um, I just a uh, fume every time I hear that that name. But I've I've contacted both my senators here in Texas and my congressman to ask them what they can do within the, the you know the normal processes. To remove her from at least from office, if not from the country, is there anything else I can do, Stacey, as a law? abiding, you know, within the within the bounds of, of you know what I can do to to get that message out or to you know to, to make that happen.
2: So I think there's somebody um, who's running against her the next time she's up for re-election. I think there's some people who've put together a group on that. Um, I'll have to try to see where because I, I read that in a story on one of the news aggregators that I go to every day. Um a couple of weeks ago, they were talking about how there's there's a group of people who live in her district who are unhappy with her representation and they want to run someone against mm-hmm. her when she's next up. So that the thing to do would be to financially support them, you know, a donation of any kind, um, and then sharing yeah. their information on social media to make sure that people know that they're out there. And as far as the rest of it, obviously, We just have to keep praying that the people in Brooklyn who are already unhappy with her polls show they're unhappy with her leadership, that they would choose someone else. That's not as radical. It's never going to be someone we like. It's a it's a heavily Democratic district, but it could at least be someone who behaves like an American. Right. Um, So we will have to see what happens with that. But thank you, Bart, for calling the show and for listening and tuning in. I mean, that's a great question. Um, and then Doug in Alabama. If you want to join us, 866-963-2037. 866-963-2037. Hey, Doug. Thanks for calling the show.
4: Hey, how's it going? Uh, first time, first time listener, first time caller, driving across the country, found you on the dial. Oh, uh, thank very you. interesting show. Yeah, no worries. I, I love listening to to uh, talk radio. It's that you get get all the the mindsets of America, um, and and the. Uh, Something you just mentioned a minute ago about, about the congresswoman from Brooklyn. Um, she represents that community. At the end of the day, they elected her as their representative. We may not like her in other parts of the country but her tactics, but she is who those people have deemed worthy to represent her, represent well, them in yeah. Congress. And but, Doug, the,
2: the, the polls don't show them being very happy with her. And I actually... I switched those up. So the caller was talking about Ilhan Omar from, I guess, Minnesota. And I started talking about AOC, who's from Brooklyn. But now I think Ilhan Omar's Either constituents way. actually like her. Uh, but, but AOC's yeah. constituents are not very happy with her. The polls show that they don't really like her leadership right now. So I want to kind of clear that up. Um, but yeah, you're right. The, pe- the people send the representative that closest mirrors their own beliefs. And I think, I
4: think we, run into, we run into trouble. Um, when, when we think that other parts of the country should feel like we do, um, we well, all have different perspectives and different yeah. views.
2: Um, yeah. You know? I mean, but we're all
4: Americans, we're all, we were right? Not, the, right. But in a Christian, in the Christian, in the Christian perspective though, um, the, you know, the good, the good Lord gave us free will. And we the good can choose, what? the good Lord gave us free will.
2: So to you're choose, not a Christian uh, then and you feel it's appropriate not, to mock Christianity. Is that it?
4: Oh, it's not a minor, It's not at all. It's not. I was definitely raised Christian. I, I there is a. Uh, believe me. Uh, I I I completely understand the Judeo-Christian perspective. I do. But you don't I, believe I, in I, it. If I studied it, I was in it. I, oh no. I, I, I personally faith is a gift I've yet to believe. I believe there is a Judeo-Christian perspective worldview. Um. There is a. There's a way that the Western world has developed its its, its morality, its ethics, its its way of conducting business. Um, there's 2,000 years of trial and error with the Roman Catholic Church, but we have, we have history of what works and what doesn't work. So in, in pockets of this country, there are folks who believe that the world should think like they do. And, well, and I mean, it's not pockets. Like world, Liberals believe
2: that, too. New Yorkers believe that, too. I've been all over the country. That's I've been all over the world. People that's do that's want other that's people, that's people that's to that's believe the way that they believe. So it, it's not just Judeo-Christians or Christians who think that other people should adopt our viewpoint. Everyone thinks that. That's why people Absolutely. fight over politics and do the things that they do.
4: Hence the dilemma. Yeah. When in this country, when in this country, what we should be doing, which our founders intended, if you're, if you're a fundamentalist, our founders intended
2: that our representatives represent us. And, yeah, and, uh, and I, I agree Omar, with that, but the founders, or, uh, the founders left us a republic, a representative republic, and he said, if you can keep it. And if you read the Federalist Papers and other documents that our founders wrote and left behind for us as their legacy, they clearly assumed that we would remain a moral nation, that we would have essentially the same views about a lot of things because we're in the same society that we wouldn't be a country that was entertaining socialism and marxism and communism in addition to people who are you know really far on the right and and almost anarchists don't want any government at all and then everything in between we didn't have that range when the founders were putting this country together or in the first 100 or so years after that this is a recent phenomenon
4: but but what they did allow, though, they did allow the free expression of those ideas. They did not even discuss an economic system in the Constitution nor the Declaration of Independence. This was established well after the country was. So the economic system, the capitalist economic system, while it was a, a great, it is a great system and they put it in place, it said nothing that our, our capitalist system of government should be completely tied to our Constitution. It's not even in there. Now, I will also say that the freedom they gave us in the First Amendment, the freedom that the government will not choose political parties, will not choose religion, will not choose to silence the press, silence the media, that we can have these free discussions of ideas in our deliberative democracy, that this is what they intended. Now, the fact that we can't have a civil discussion like you and I are having, that is what I think is problematic.
2: (laughs) Well, it is problematic, but it's it's problematic because... Some of the ideas that are being discussed are so far in a way unworkable, like, you know, single payer, Medicare for all, things that cannot occur in our current system. It means you have to completely remake the entire financial system of this country because we can't afford to pay for that. We can't afford to pay for Medicare well, for all admit- or single payer. So that it's, I, it's one of those things I- where you're right. People are upset, but I, I have not ever had a time where I couldn't have a discussion with someone because I don't I I was unsure that my beliefs could work or or weren't supported by facts. I never meet a liberal who can actually sit down and actually discuss how their programs or their ideas or their policies could work because they don't have a way that they could work. And so that that's where some of this comes from.
4: Sure. Hi, my name is Doug. I can do that. So, real quick, so... Well, then I'll explain how we could that.
2: pay for single-payer. Explain how that works. If you're, you're, you're okay, Doug, so well, you're right, a Democrat, how's that work?
4: No, I'm not. I'm an independent. I'm an independent. I don't... Uh, the Democratic Party is a joke. Please. Um, but here's, here's the point. Single-payer will not work in the Bernie sanders for single-payer. It's not going to happen. Okay? It can't. But right now, our current air, quote, free market system is also not working for the average American. Premiums are too high for health insurance, uh, even, if you, even if you take away Obamacare. If you take it away, you take away the pre-existing conditions, it, it, it's really expensive to get sick. There's a lot of people going bankrupt because of medical bills in this country, and it hurts a lot of people. What we should be doing, instead of talking about it has to be one way or another, we have to find a way to meld. Look, there's certain sectors in this country that should not be left to strictly for-profit. One of those is medicine. If you attach a price tag to a life, it becomes a commodity.
2: So yeah, but if, we if, you have, medicine, if it's not a for-profit system, then you basically give away and eliminate all of the innovation that. and research that, that, that we do here I'm in this country it. that brings drugs to market that. and the innovation. And I, I, I understand what yeah. you're saying, but when you say when you I detach would, profitability you from it, it takes away all of the incentive for people to create products like CT machines, which save lives. Can I I but you how it works? I, 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 you how it I, works? But you're, you're making statements that are, are not tenable no. in the, under the circumstances no. that you're trying to outline here.
4: You asked me to tell you how it works. Right now we're spending $93 billion a year. Single payer, fiscally, even on the heavy side, will cost us $66 billion a year. That's a thirty no. billion savings. That's not, not, saying, that's not, not the numbers that the CBO
2: that or the Heritage Foundation or Cato or any of the think tanks that have looked over yes, every iteration of, of single payer. There's no way. We're talking either trillions of up. dollars greater than our GDP. Either
4: way, it's painful. Either way, if there's a price tag. Either but it, it doesn't work. Tag, we've got to find a way to get middle. Yeah, but it's the, way the, the way middle can't
2: be a, a a be a government run system. A government run system means that you have sure. to have rationing. Yeah. it's And so I I understand what he's saying. He doesn't want people to go bankrupt. Neither do I. I, There has to be a better way. But single payer isn't it. Um, Very interesting young man. He he sounds very engaged and interesting. Nice to chat with him. When we get back, we have Bridget Van Means. This is going to be straight hot fire coming straight from Missouri. You don't want to miss it. Stay right there.
0: Walker Wildman for Redeem Clean Laundry Products.
4: Not only do you get a great product and you get to obviously clean your clothes, get the stains out and use the multi-surface cleaner to clean your countertops and use the dryer sheets. You're doing all of this and the money is going to support
0: the work of American Family Association. Redeem Clean Laundry Products were developed by AFA supporters Len Ingram and Jim Duncan to assist in funding the mission of the American Family Association. Redeem Clean products work as well as or better than other products on the market. They're environmentally safe, biodegradable, and they're made right here in the United States.
4: The great thing about Redeem Clean is not only is the product great, but it goes to support a great cause,
0: and that is the work of American Family Association. For clean laundry and a cleaner society, it's Redeem Clean. Visit redeemclean.afastore.net. This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. Anyone looking at charitable giving can see that individuals and voluntary associations are very effective. Don Eberly talks about this in his book, The Rise of Global Civil Society. He points out that during the recent disasters around the world, private voluntary organizations had the capacity to raise more funds than government. They were also able to mobilize resources and manpower with a speed and efficiency that matches, if not exceeds, the best government aid agencies could do. Private voluntary associations have always been a part of American society. When Alexis de Tocqueville toured America in the 1840s, he marveled at the tendency to form or join voluntary associations of a thousand kinds. That is why he was optimistic about the future of this new republic. He saw that such organizations formed the bedrock of civil society. These associations, Tocqueville wrote, were the things upon which progress towards all the rest depends. Don Iberle says that in Tocqueville's day, there were 27 associations with an international focus. Today, there are 40,000 such associations, with a large number of them based upon a Christian foundation. He also reports that 50 million Americans are continuously gauged as social networkers with a person or community outside of the United States. For years now, my wife and I have sponsored children in Africa and South America through groups like World Vision and Compassion International. You have probably done the same. And your church has no doubt provided you with an opportunity to visit the mission field or engage in short-term missions. These are just other examples of what Don Eberly is talking about when he says we are building community from the bottom up rather than from a bureaucratic government top down. It's exciting to see what is happening in the world. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. For a free copy of Kirby's booklet, a biblical view on anti-semitism, go to viewpoints.info slash antisemitism. Viewpoints.info slash antisemitism.
1: Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk.
2: Hey everybody, welcome back to the program. Stacy Washington, host of Stacy on the Right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. It's my pleasure to welcome my friend. She's my she's my sister. She's so many different things that I really can't articulate here, and that is because she's a pro-life warrior. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating here. I mean someone who's in the, the belly of the beast. She's in the lion's den on the regular, fighting on behalf of the unborn, and women, if this is an issue, women, children, the unborn, all of those people are being represented here. Uh, so it's my pleasure to welcome Thrive president and vision leader, Bridget Van Means, Hey, Bridget, thanks for joining us.
3: Hey, Stacey, my sister from a different mission. How are
2: you? I'm pretty good. I'm excited to talk to you, although I don't like the developments. I don't like the way things are progressing, but I know God is greater, and sometimes in the battle, it doesn't look as if things are going the way you want them to, but we have to keep praying and pressing forward. I wanted you to come on to give us an update on exactly what's happening with the Planned Parenthood of St. Louis on Forest Park, and they have a health license from the Missouri Department of Health that really it should have been revoked by now. What's going on right now?
3: Yeah, so first of all, I think the show me state is turning into the show you state, right? We've got the whole (laughs) nation with eyes on Missouri because we are closer than ever to being the first abortion clinic-free state in the entire country. It would be the first time since Roe v. Wade. So the stakes are very high over the doings down there on that, on that uh, sidewalk and in that clinic on Forest Parkway in St. Louis, the last standing abortion clinic in Missouri. But we know that we have to take politics off the table and we have to put women's safety first. And our governor, Governor Parsons, has done an amazing job working with the Department of Health and Senior Services to keep the politics out of it, to keep women's safety at the forefront, and no surprise to us, there have been a series of safety breaches, um, failures to comply with basic health statutes that other medical providers would have to uh, provide. And then there—now it turns out—it's breaking in the news, uh, not just not just uh, right news, but all news that we have women leaving in ambulances. Documented botched abortions. Uh, I just found out and saw in the report today that um, a baby was aborted at 21 weeks in Missouri. The cap is 20 weeks. Oh wow! Um, we all know that those late-term abortions, the dismemberment procedure, is a horrific experience for the mom and obviously for the baby. And so, basically, basically, what's happened is, uh, for the first time ever, we've got Department of Health and Senior Services willing to step up for women. Uh, they work at the pleasure of the governor. We have a very pro-woman, uh, women's advocate governor. The other thing is that the director of the Department of Health and Senior Services, Dr. Williams, uh, people oftentimes in the mainstream media fail to mention the fact that he's a woman's advocate. People don't know and understand that he is a highly well-respected practicing OBGYN for many decades. He has set the standards for proper women's health care. So when he talks about this decision, he says that these breaches in safety are significant. He really, really knows what he's talking about. And so he's been advocating for women's health for a couple of decades. Um, he is determining that this particular clinic is unsafe at this point, and so they have not rebu- renewed the license. They allowed it to expire. And so Planned Parenthood has dragged them into court, and so we're in the middle of a court battle now. And I know that you track with things very closely. But tomorrow is the next important date, because basically this judge, Judge Seltzer, which if you have some praying listeners, let's lift up Judge Seltzer tonight. But Mm -hmm. Judge Seltzer has basically said, Department, you have till tomorrow to decide if you're going to give them their license or take it away. So we are now again, within 24 hours or so, of being the first abortion clinic-free state in the nation since Roe v. Wade.
2: And so Bridget just put out the call and I want to echo it. it. You know, we have a praying audience here and I, what I love is when we, when we do say, let's pray about this, people will email me, they'll message on really Facebook do. or what have you and they'll say, yeah, I'm, awesome. I'm there with you. So please don't forget this. When you pray over your meals, when you're in your prayer closet at any point, please pray for Judge Seltzer and also, For the people who are working at the Missouri Department of Health, they're under a lot of pressure right now to cave and give in and renew this license Mm -hmm. for Planned Parenthood. And don't forget to pray for the women in that building working for Planned Parenthood because we know Abby Johnson has taught us that they can not only come out from among them, they can come out and be fierce warriors for our side. And we want them. We want the women in the Planned Parenthood on Forest Park to become our Women, We want them on our side working on behalf of the unborn and for women for their safety. So Bridget, let's 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 kind of, you know, you mentioned the the ambulance visits. And this is a story that you have been right in the center of this reporting on this and really calling people to account. This is supposed to be we've been taught safe, legal and rare. This is supposed to be you're never supposed to see an ambulance at a Planned Parenthood clinic because they're supposed to be the standard in women's health care. They get 558 million taxpayer dollars a year. How could they possibly be running what sounds to me like some kind of you know death mill. How could this be?
3: Yeah and so what we have is a, a group of people who you know faithfully pray on the sidewalk and advocate for the women and so they've been trained to, document carefully the comings and goings at the clinic, and a high attention and alert for ambulances. And so they take pictures, they document, and what we began to see is a pretty egregious pattern of regular visits from ambulances. And before you know it, we're up to about 72 or 3 now, mm. and we, that averages about 1 every 40 days. Um, which is a significantly higher average than the clinics throughout the country. And that number has actually escalated in the last few months. Um, And, again, that seems to tie off with the department's escalating concerns, right? So you have this picture of um, staffing shortages, which they've talked about. You know, Planned Parenthood is always talking about the fact that there's such a shortage of doctors. And then you have an escalated number of ambulances coming and going to the clinic. Um, now we have documented botched abortions. So you said safe. Well, if you're going to a doctor and every 40 days you're seeing an ambulance come and go, that doesn't sound very safe. We know it's not rare, right? There are close to a million children that die every year. Um, so everything's been taken off the table. We have we do not have rare. We do not have safe. And then what about legal? It's not legal to perform an abortion past 20 weeks, but they have documentation of at least one, where the abortion was performed at 21 weeks, so it's very, very reasonable for the department. If, was, if this was any other area of medicine, Stacey, yes, they probably would have been shut down after one ambulance visit just to figure out what was going on. You know, let alone this many.
2: And and the point that you're making is so valid because just think about all of the different things that some of the LASIK clinics over the past 20 years, as we've lived in St. Louis about 21 years. And I remember when there was one Mm -hmm. of the LASIK clinics, one of the doctors, he had some problem going on with his medical license and they went after Mm -hmm. him like nobody's business. And this is obviously your eyes are super Uh important. He's doing LASIK surgery, you know, but he he was put through the ringer. Mm -hmm. And his clinics had to be, they were examined. I mean, there was a lot that went on. And I remember thinking to myself, oh. well, it's good to see that they keep up with this because how would I know? I'm just like a regular person. And if I wanted to get eye care, you know, LASIK, I wouldn't know anything about this except that they're keeping on top of it. And that was for LASIK, which it's invasive, but it's not nearly as invasive as an abortion. And it doesn't have nearly oh. the rate of fatality that abortion has and, and really the other things that we never talk about which is sometimes women come out of there you come out alive but you can't have any more children like these are side effects of abortion in in this country that don't get discussed now a friend of mine Kara Davis out of California tagged me this morning AP Central US tweeted out Missouri's only abortion clinic says state required pelvic exams at least 72 hours before an abortion are quote disrespectful and dehumanizing end quote and it won't perform them the clinic is already in a battle with the state to maintain its license and who's in the picture well it's me and students for life president Reagan Barkledge and uh, oh, G- Jacinda so yeah it's it's from that you know just I think the week before last we were yeah. all there and uh-huh. so this picture is yeah. what they're using on this image and it's the St. Louis AP that they're picking this story up from so what do they mean a pelvic exam is di- disrespectful haven't we if you've had a baby you've had like a gazillion of those because that every time you go in you have a pelvic exam if you're pregnant
4: Correct. Well, they're literally
3: saying that it's uh, dehumanizing and unnecessary. <laughs> yes. uh, maybe maybe to the men, you know, they might fall for that. But we women know that every time you go to the OBGYN, you have a pelvic exam. <laughs> it's like when you go to your physician and you have a cold and she says, say ah. Mm-hmm. Like it's the say ah of the OBGYN business. <laughs> Unfortunately. And how deceptive and ridiculous they are. Yeah, they're just grasping at drugs. So, again, you know, you have, you have a, a licensed OBGYN with decades of experience who is now requiring the women to be treated with basic standard protocols of care. And so he's the one that comes in and says, yes, the woman should have a pelvic exam before you invade her with <laughs> right. this very serious abortion procedure. Of course. Well, so yet, the big story here so is that they weren't. Physical.
2: But isn't the big story here, Bridget, that because they're now admitting that they won't do it, this means they weren't doing it. So every other well woman visit you've ever had, it starts with a pelvic exam. If you say you don't want one, they will they'll tell you, we'll come back when (laughs) come back to this office when when you're you're prepared. Yeah. To let us look because we're going to look first. I've never been to the OBGYN where that didn't happen. Come on.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Into the office. And, you know, the men have no idea what us women go through. But, you know, we're <laughs> laughing because it's a basic standard uh, part of the visit. It's where everything starts, right?
2: Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's
3: where the X Well, it, Unless this you're not at an OBGYN. Their,
2: yeah. I mean, exactly, it's like going to the dentist yes. and saying you're not going to let him look in your mouth. He's going to look at your exactly. mouth if you're going to the dentist. So they're they're admitting yeah. that they're not going to perform them. So they're they're, they're basically mm-hmm. saying before we have... An invasive procedure that could result in perforated uterus, all kinds of things that can happen. Mm-hmm. We're not even going to mm-hmm. take a look and make sure we're accurate on the gestational age, the mm-hmm. health of the mother, the right. ability for us to, for her to survive the the uh, procedure. They're not even going to take a, mm-hmm. a peek and see what's going on. Right, and
3: then the other thing, Stacy, is remember that about twenty to twenty five percent of pregnancies end in miscarriage. So one of the reasons that the doctor should do that is they want to make sure that she's still pregnant. They don't want to put her through an unnecessary procedure or an incorrect procedure if she's miscarried. So that's one of the reasons that you do a final check right before the procedure. So again, it's all about women's safety.
2: I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of flabbergasted at, at the, the attitude by most of the media here. Um, and I'm talking about local media like CBS, NBC, et cetera. Right. They're either not covering the story or they're covering it from the perspective of, you know, their team Planned Parenthood. And they haven't, no one's mm-hmm. talking about the safety aspect. No one's talking about whatever happened to the women. Like we don't have a way of finding out a woman was taken from the Planned Parenthood, in an ambulance with a sheet over her. So we don't know her identity. What happened? Did she, did she suffer mm-hmm. complications? Mm-hmm. Was she hospitalized? Did she actually have mm-hmm. an abortion? Was that successful? Or, or did she actually have a baby after mm-hmm. that? Because it didn't work. Like we don't know what happens to these women and they're forced to stay silent because they're told that if they do speak up, it will harm the Planned Parenthood. And, and apparently Planned Parenthood's way more important than the women that they serve.
3: Apparently, Now, of course, our good friend Troy Newman out of Operation Rescue filed a lawsuit against the fire department because they were suppressing those 911 calls, and he was able to get an inventory of over 60 of the calls at the time, and facing more than half of those calls are a direct result of hemorrhaging. So that means that these girls are bleeding out in the clinic. Now, we both saw unplanned, so you know that they will go through quite a bit to deal with a hemorrhaging situation on site. So that means if they're calling an ambulance, she's having a very serious bleeding out situation. The last thing they want to do is call the ambulance. We saw that in the Unplanned movie. Mm. So more than half of those are hemorrhages. And then you see some really very sad things. In fact, the first time I read that report, probably the first couple, two times, Uh, You know, the tears, and we see a lot and hear a lot, but you would see things like suicidal ideation, Mm. fainting, collapsing, hysteria, you know, it just made you feel so bad for these ladies and what they're going through behind those doors.
2: Well, I just want to point out to everyone that the conversation that we're having with, and if you're just tuning in, I'm chatting with my friend, Bridget Van Means. She's the vision leader and president of Thrive St. Louis um i'm i'm the conversation we're having there's no animus from us towards post-abortive women or women who've made that choice in fact your organization will help women if they come to you and get a ultrasound from you and then they decide to go to Planned Parenthood and have an abortion they can still come back to you and get std testing any anything further that they might need the relationship is begun it's regardless of what else they do yeah. in their lives so this is about caring for women it's not the, the, the mantra that they keep sharing. and so I want to give you the last minute here to kind of whatever you want to share about thrive STL or thrive all over the country because you guys are everywhere now. Um, what, what do you want to, what do you have on your heart for this last minute or so? I mean I, I,
3: I love that you brought up the post-abortive woman and one of the things that you know we're very proud of is that in the rare situation where once a girl you know presented all of her options, and she's given resources she still has that abortion many times she'll come back to us for aftercare so that means that that relationship we've formed with her she does not feel judged she feels supported she trusts us and she's received a quality care experience so we love the fact that the ladies trust us they come back to us and we do provide post-abortive care and of course what we are doing is coming along with women with that good Samaritan model. And so that's mm-hmm. what we want to make sure people know that we're leading with redemption.
2: And it's the truth. Um, and so, you know, don't forget, the call to prayer has been sent out. Let's pray together. This next 24 hours is crucial. We need a good ruling here. Uh, we want the Missouri miracle. We want it and we're going to get it. And we're, we're claiming it in the name of Jesus. Bridget, thank you for joining us today.
3: Thanks so much, Stacy. Talk to you soon.
2: Okay, talk to you soon. We'll be back with more after this. Stay there. His Uncommon Moments. Here's former Super Bowl winning NFL coach Tony Dungy and his wife Lauren sharing from their book Uncommon Marriage. Sometimes I get too focused on the what ifs and Lauren points out that if I worry myself to death about things, I might end up doing nothing.
3: My and Tony's philosophy about things still give great balance to our marriage. We see that some of our different perspectives come from our parents. That's one reason God brought us together, and we make good decisions when we
2: work through things as a team.
1: Lauren is like her mom. Both are very strong women with a great deal of faith in God. And that's one thing we as husbands can learn about our wives. We can see strength in areas where we might need help. Remember that differences are positives in a marriage.
2: Tony and Lauren Dungey, authors of Uncommon Marriage, learning about lasting love and overcoming life's obstacles together. Discover more at CoachDungee.com.
0: Hi, this is Jim Stanley, General Manager of American Family Radio, here to tell you that change is on the air. Uh, Beginning... Excuse me, Jim, I believe the saying would be changes in the air. Well, that's true, too. We've got some big changes coming up, and you'll hear them on the air. Oh, right, boss. Go ahead. As I was saying, changes are coming and you'll hear them on the air beginning Monday, June 24th here on American Family Radio. So, do they affect me? I mean, are we cool here? I mean, we're cool, right? Hi, friends. There's a new show in town on Urban Family Talk nightly, 7 p.m. Central. Join me, C.L. Bryan, as we build the bridge to conversation throughout our great nation, the greatest nation on the face of the planet, the greatest success story the world has ever known. Nightly, the C.L. Bryan Show over Urban Family Talk, 7 p.m. This is House Call for Health. Do you want to be healthier? Go outside more. A new study confirms what you've probably suspected, that spending more time
2: in natural environments can improve your health and well-being. British researchers interviewed 20,000 people, and they found that you don't have to camp out for days at a time, just two hours a week in a park or at the beach improves both physical and mental health. The study in the journal Scientific Reports does raise some questions, like is being
0: outside the reason for better health? Or is it the exercise you get from moving around in the great outdoors? And could you get the same health benefit indoors at, say, a gym?
2: Also, since the study was done in the U.K., it's not clear if the same results would be obtained in other countries. But just using common sense would dictate it's good to get outside every now and then. For more health news, go to foxnewshealth.com. House Call for Health, I'm Joy
0: Piazza, Fox News.
1: Welcome back to Stacey on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Thank you so much for, for this opportunity. Um, I'm going to take a different tack from the beginning. Uh, we are at this point, this is not about black and white, uh, rich and poor, blue collar, white collar. We're fighting for the heart and soul of our nation. We have a very, very special country that started with the Judeo-Christian values that allowed every single generation to become better than the last, and that has not ended, that has not stopped. Until now, we're telling our kids a little bit something different, that they don't have the opportunities that we had. I'm going to talk about some ideologies. And when I talk about them, when I talk about people, people change. I used to be a Democrat until I did my history and found out the the the, the misery that that party brought to my race. So when I talk about these ideologies, ideologies don't change, people do. We are fighting for the heart and soul of our nation against socialism, Marxism, and the evil that it has brought to us, and the stealing of our history. Karl Marx said it best, the, uh, Arthur, the father of socialism, an atheist, anti-Semite, and a blatant racist. Yet We teach his philosophy in our school systems today. He said it, the first battleground is rewriting of our history. You steal our history, you steal our pride in our past, our appreciation for our present, and our vision for our future. And every single urban city in our country is now experiencing that loss.
2: Wow. So that's Burgess Owens. He was one of the individuals who testified before the House Committee on Reparations. And as you know, he's an NFL great and author. He's written a lot of books. And he's a good friend of mine. And he's been on the program a a number of times. I was thinking to myself, I I should call Burgess and have him come on. Uh, I'm not sure if he's still in DC or if he's back yet. But I I just, I listened to him talking and we know that as a black man of his age, he's experienced a lot of different things in his life, but he believes in the beauty of America. And we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility as Americans to, uh, to love the one we're with. And what do I mean by that? Well, I I want you to just, I get really, really worked up about this subject because I've been all over the world, all over the world. And I've seen how other people live and, and I, I'm not saying that from a judgmental perspective because they're happy where they live. Most of the people I've encountered are happy where they live. Even the people I met in Saudi Arabia who live under Sharia law and are just, I mean, they are, they are not citizens there. They have a real, their government owns them. Those, those, those princes of that family, they own those people. But they still have a, a level of, of enjoyment in their lives and it's what they know and, and, but it it just when you get back here and you smell the beautiful clean air and you see the trees waving in the breeze and you know there are problems i've had problems i have problems now um i'm not some as people love to say i don't know what what it is about pollyanna they love to just love to say oh you're so pollyanna i'm not i have problems real problems i have them uh but i just i can't get enough of this place after having been all over the world and i there are some places on this planet that i miss I actually can feel it. I miss them so much because I've been there and I've loved being there, but no place compares to America. And this is where the freedom is the most. Everything here is the most. And we're so blessed here. It's so much a part of living here, the blessings that we have that we take them for granted. And so when, when we have people, anyone, I don't care what political persuasion you are, any person that tries to convince you as an American, whether you're black or Asian or you know American Indian or if you're white, if someone tries to convince you that you're a victim or that you have it bad here because you're an American or that America is bad, that person is trying to steal what you have. They're trying to take the opportunity that you have as an American and steal it from you because America is primarily an idea. And when you pervert that idea in the minds of the people who live here, That's how you take America over from within. You don't take America over by coming over here with your bombers and your jets or trying to infiltrate this country. We have too many guns. We have too many Wild Wild West cowboy boot wearing, gun toting, Bible clinging, men and women and kids too. For you to do that, oh no, it's always been an insider type of a deal. And so the the way you take it over is obviously, well, you could just open up the southern border and have mass migration. You could implant in the minds of America's youth for 20 years or so that America is the big bad boogeyman of the world and needs to be vanquished and that capitalism is bad. You could teach kids who've been abused or mistreated or somehow really they've had their rights violated that the reason their rights are violated is because of God and Christianity. I mean, these are all things that the enemy would love to see happen. And so we have to be Vigilant about maintaining the truth and speaking the truth and not allowing the lies to go out even for a second That's why I cut people off on the show Sometimes when they get when they get to going and they can't stop and they're just you know Working on behalf of their lord and savior satan I gotta stop them because I can't let them put that stuff out there and poison even one mind but by the same token We got to meet them where they are on the battlefield with our swords sharpened and ready with the word of truth We have to be ready and so, you know, you, you, you go to places like, you know, in Saudi Arabia, they cut your hand off if you steal from somebody. And I purchased this little Flacati rug when I was there uh, in Saudi Arabia on a tour of duty. It was a temporary tour of duty. This was the one I've, I've talked about on the show where we had uh, I, I stayed in Kobar Towers. I was on active duty in the Air Force and the rotation after me my room like he was a dorm mate he lived across from me in the dorm and he'd only been there for a couple of weeks and he went over after me and Kobar Towers was bombed and he was one of the airmen that was killed and um i've 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 just thought about what it was like being there like shopping doing whatever and i remember i bought this rug and the guy said you know you come back and pick it up um tomorrow and so i said sure so then the next day, me and friends after work, we, you know, we went out to eat, we ran around and we went to the gym and then went back to our, you know, Cobar Towers little apartment and we were in there and we didn't go back and get the rug. And so a couple of days after that, I'm downtown in the shopping area walking around with some, some workmates and this man runs up to me breathlessly and he says, excuse me, ma'am, excuse me. Remember me, you purchased a rug for me and I need to give it to you. And I said, oh, yeah, I'll get it from you. He said, no, I must give it to you today. I need to give it to you. You've already paid and I must give it to you. And I said, oh, OK. So he said, can you can you please come back by or will you stay here? I'll go get it and bring it to you. So we walked over to his store and I picked up the rug and it these are the you know, the it looks like a sheepskin rug and it's small. It goes like by the side of your bed or at the, like the foot of your bed. It's, it's not big. So it's rolled up. And he put it into some paper and it was in a bag and he gave it to me. And then he he was so thankful for me picking it up, like getting it from him. And when he left, I was talking to a couple of the others that I was with. I said, wow, he seemed like he was like deathly afraid that I wasn't going to get that rug from him. And the the one of the guys I was with was like, you know where you are. Here in this country, if you steal from someone, they cut your hand off. I said, yeah, but he... If I didn't get the rug from him, I would he wouldn't have stolen from me. And he was like, yeah, that's kind of what it is. If he takes the money, he needs to give you the item or he could really get in big, big trouble for that. And I was like, you know, just in that moment thinking because I didn't come by and pick up the rug that I purchased. This man could be like in dire straits like his hand might not be. I couldn't believe it. And but that's their country and so every every country has something about it that you're like, "You guys do what you know that's the nature of of foreign countries, and we have some things here, you know, obviously America's not perfect, but people are killing themselves to get in here. People are killing their own kids to get in here. People are killing other people's kids to get in here um we we gotta really i i just i feel like there's a whole lot of flippant attitude about. The blessing that is America and how wonderful it is that we get to experience this. And, you know, the Israelites in the Bible, they had many times where they were living in the land of milk and honey and, you know, having a a really, really great time and they would get stiff necked and start going after other gods and then they'd get taken off into captivity or they'd get overrun by some invader. And then they would have to come back to the realization that, you know, we belong to God and we need to acknowledge him in all our ways and we need to not turn to other gods. And we've been given such a reprieve here in America for so long. Which is one of the reasons why, you know, last segment's guest, Bridget Van Means, why she just, she means so much to me because of her work on the pro-life issue here in Missouri. She just is so excellent at what she's been called to do. And her excellence reverberates outward to those around her. It's inspiring, it's activating, and it also, it's accomplishing what she's set out to do. Um, And I, I would just sincerely would have my work to be at the same kind of effectiveness, the level of effectiveness that she has in her work. And so I just, we have to, first of all, I want to renew the call. If you're just tuning in, welcome to the show. You missed two great interviews, by the way. Uh, Bob Woodson was on in hour one, and in hour two, we had Bridget Van Means, who was just fantastic. She's the vision leader and president of Thrive St. Louis. Um, we, one of the things that I want to make sure and say, if you're just tuning in, is please don't forget, please pray for um, that Judge, Judge Seltzer here in Missouri who's going to make uh, some decisions tomorrow about that. Uh, and, and also the people at the Missouri Department of Health, if they would stand firm and require Planned Parenthood to adhere to the same rules as the LASIK eye care centers and other outpatient clinics here in the state of Missouri, don't give them special rules and special dispensation. They should have to follow the same exact protocols. Safety protocols should not be, you know, well, Planned Parenthood shouldn't have to follow these. No, yes, they should. It, they more than should have to follow them. They should be, and and this is just my opinion. You know, if you work at Planned Parenthood and you know what your reputation is on the right, you you should be out there talking about. You know what? Actually, we go above and beyond the minimum standards set out by the Missouri Department of Health. That that should be their attitude. They should be like you. How can you how can you not renew our license? Not only do we comply, but we have full transparency and we all of our physicians are available for questions. We do not permit anything untoward because we know what you guys say about us and that's not us but when you're working for the enemy you don't feel like you have to go above and beyond to follow the rules now do you oh yeah i know somebody's mad already um i and you know i really appreciate people who listen to the show who don't agree with what we discuss here but i also don't want you to feel like you're like going to be getting any inroads with me explaining to me that you support abortion or you're against the second amendment or anything like that. Like these are not issues where I'm in a debate zone and I need some help figuring out where I'm going. You have your ideas and that's fine. And I appreciate you tuning in, but I'm not here to be convinced. Otherwise, I already know what God's word says about self-defense, about when he formed us, he knew us about the sanctity of human life about all of these issues. I wouldn't be sitting here if I hadn't already made up my mind. So uh, yeah, we did also, I teased, and, and I just want to give you a little bit of the details. I think maybe I did. Um, yeah, I did. I, I gave the details on the 52 countries. And so we'll have to deal with the New York Times 18 questions for the Democratic candidates. I don't think we're going to have time to get to that today, so, but we will. Because we'll, this is so funny. Like you're going to, when you hear these questions, you're going to think to yourself, they ask them, well, And Joe Biden was like, I'm not answering your questions because he just still trying to figure out who he is after 40 years. Um, But this heckler, he was yelling at um, this is a congressional hearing yesterday and Representative Louis Gohmert, Republican from Texas, was accused of lying by this heckler. He was at the House Judiciary Committee on the Constitution, Civil Rights and Civil Liberties Reparations Committee. And it was the first in 12 years to examine this subject needlessly. Nothing's going to happen. And this bill that's sponsored by Representative Sheila Jackson Lee, Democrat from Texas, calls for a commission to be set up to examine the lasting impact of slavery. Hey, black folks, y'all were slaves. Y'all are still suffering from slavery. Y'all are victims. You need Democrats. And make recommendations on appropriate remedies. The legislation has been introduced 17 times in the past three decades, but has never been advanced. Now, Gomert was submitting into the record a copy of an article entitled Our History on the Democratic National Committee website and wondered why it included no references to the party's platform in support of slavery six times between 1840 and 1860, the fact that seven Democratic presidents owned slaves, the party's platforms that either supported segregation outright or were silent on the subject 20 times between 1868 and as recently as 1948, and the fact that three-fourths of the opposition in the House to the 1964 Civil Rights Act came from Democrats, along with 80% of the opposition from the Senate. The role the Democratic Party played in creating Jim Crow laws. um, And last but not least, Gohmert said, there's no reference to the fact that Birmingham, Alabama Public Safety Commissioner Bull Connor, who infamously unleashed dogs and fire hoses on civil rights protesters, was in fact both a member of the Democratic National Committee, so in leadership, and he was a member of the Ku Klux Klan an open member, not a secret. So it's important that we know our history and not punish people today for the sins of their predecessors in a Democratic Party. And then someone yelled, you lie, all loud. Gomert chuckled and said, I just stated all facts. And again, we have people who are denying history. That's not helpful to our discussion. So guess who yelled out, you lie? I I, were in the last minute of the show or else I would open it up for calls because y'all are never going to guess who it was an activist and talk radio show host by the name of Reverend Mark Thompson. (laughs) A man with the permanent tan who also calls himself a reverend yelled, you lie to the truth about the Democrats. All right, that's the show for today. Guess what? Back with you tomorrow. But until then... God bless from the heartland. Thanks for making your home at AFR and urbanfamilytalk.com.